Today's passage is from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You may follow along in your Bible. The passage is also printed on page 13 of your bulletin. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And before I read, may I remind you that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Corey. Lord willing, we will return to our series on Romans next Sunday. Today, uh, in light of our welcoming the new members, I wanted to preach a, a sermon on the church. So somewhat of a topical sermon, but today is certainly a day to rejoice and give thanks to God, a day to remember who we are and our calling to God and to one another. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was at a, a Mount Joy Chamber of Commerce mixer, and I was talking with two, two men uh, from the nearby area, and one of the blessings of being a part of an event like that is just to meet different people in the community, looking for opportunities uh, to share with them about Christ, to share with them about proclamation, and we got talking about how uh, proclamation is, uh, although we're in a great situation right now, renting from Crabo, we are continually on the look for a permanent location for our church, so the, the word gets spread around, and people know about it, and maybe help us, who knows, find our place. But as I was having this conversation, the one man uh, just started asking, and I could tell he was thinking, you know, there's, there's a lot of churches in the area, and, and I've talked with this man before, and, and I know that he's not currently part of any church. But he was saying, you know, there's a lot of churches in the area. Have you ever considered, you know, maybe meeting in another church, maybe meeting at a different time, maybe a different day of the week? And not just like we did before at Florin or at Mount Joy Church of God on a Sunday, but he's like, you know, people's lives are so busy. Maybe a different day would be better for them. Maybe a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or, or something like that. It would fit their schedules better. And I could sense that the attitude was essentially, you know, our lives are not centered around Christ or around his church, but around self. An attitude that says, I won't revolve my life around God or his words or his commands or his people or gathering for worship, but maybe, maybe I could fit him in where I can. My life is full, and so if God gets crowded out, gets left behind, that's simply what happens. I don't give up other things for God, I give up God for other things. And we could expect that attitude to those who don't know and love Jesus. We could expect to see that. But it's dangerous when we see that in ourselves and those who know and love the Lord. It's inconsistent that attitude and that approach is inconsistent with who we are as God's people. It doesn't fit who God is. It doesn't fit with who or what he has made us to be. And so today I want to simply look at one of my favorite passages in the scriptures and see who we are as God's people 
and what he has called us to be, what he's called us to do. One pastor summarized this passage by saying, God made us who we are to show the world who he is. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. Well, who are we? Peter says, now we are God's people. We belong to God. We are a people for his own possession. And so the key point here is this. It is God who has made us who we are. This is something that God is doing. So the church universal and our local expression of it right here, this is God's work. It is his body, his family. It's a people that God is building and growing. This is something that only God can do. Peter says we once were not a people. We had once not received mercy. And he is referring to the common human condition from birth that we have seen in our study of the book of Romans. That all, my, all mankind, every single person who's ever been born apart from the Lord Jesus Christ is born in sin. With a sinful nature that does not lead us to love and worship and honor and obey God our creator. We were born in darkness. Our eyes were blind to the truth and the beauty and the glory of Christ. Our deeds were evil. Romans chapter 3, Paul says we were not righteous. We did not do good. We did not seek for God. Though we had been created by God in the image of God for the glory of God, we, the creature, exchanged the worship of our creator for the worship of created things. This is disordered worship or idolatry or what the Bible calls sin. And our voluntary rebellion against a good and holy God offended his perfect justice and provoked his just wrath against us. And God, being a righteous judge, no righteous judge can simply overlook wickedness or overlook evil. So our every sin rightly brings the just condemnation of God. His righteous wrath. This is what all of us, every person sitting here right now, every person you have ever known, this is what we all have earned and what we deserve in and of ourselves apart from Christ. There is absolutely no salvation from this judgment in ourselves. We cannot find salvation from within. God must graciously intervene if we are to be saved. And thanks be to God, that is exactly what he has done in our lives. Peter says that he chose us. We are a chosen race. He called us. He has called you out of darkness. Almighty God made his light shine in your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So this is a supernatural work of almighty creator God that he has done in your hearts and in your lives if you know and love him. He's intervened so that you could see the glory of Christ. He sent his own son to bear the curse of your sin in your place through his death on the cross. You know, a great song we could have sung during our service today would be The Church's One Foundation. One of the reasons we're not is because we sang it not too long ago. But the church is one foundation. Many of you are familiar with it, and, and it, part of it comes from this earlier passage in 1 Peter 2. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She, speaking of the church, is his 
new creation. It's the work of God. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life, for your life, he died. Beloved, I want to remind you this morning that for all of you who trust in Jesus, you are God's people. And this is a miracle of grace. We rejoice that this platform was just filled with all these people who are joining our church. And every single one of them, and every single one of you who is already a member here, you are, we could say, a trophy of God's grace. A visible sign that the Almighty God has worked a miracle in your life. You were dead in sin. You were blind to the glory of Christ. And he came to you and brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, that is something that only God can do. I can't make that happen. No matter how passionately I preach, it will not wake you from the dead. But God can do that. And God has done that. And the way that he does that is through the death of his own son. So the only way that you can be the people of God is if God has mercy on you in Christ and makes you his people. And that is exactly what he has done. And now, as his people... We have a calling from God, from our creator, from our savior, from our king. We have a calling from God to live out this new identity, this new calling, to live as the new creation that God has made us to be. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. Well, who are we? We are God's people. As God's people, we are to show the world what he is like. We are to display God's unity and his love. Beloved, we worship a triune God. One God united in three persons. That's why I baptized these beloved members in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The triune God. Forever the Father has loved the Son in the joy and the unity of the Holy Spirit. And now we, God's people, we are to reflect this unity. To live it out in our friendship, our fellowship with one another, with believers. The Bible tells us that we are united in Christ. We are. We are united in Christ. This isn't something that we work to create, that we have to manufacture. This is something that Almighty God does in us. God has already done this. We are God's people, not God's person. We are a chosen race, a holy nation. You know, you may have heard uh, that phrase said before, that if you were the only one to believe in Christ, if you were the only one to be saved, Jesus would have died for you. And while I appreciate the sentiment, the, the idea behind that, right? What's the intent? We want to communicate to people how much God loves them. And surely there's, he, he loves us more than we could ever know. So we appreciate the idea behind that. But the reality is you are not the only one. And that was not God's plan or intent in sending Jesus. It was not to save only one, to save an individual, or so that you and God on your own could be on good terms again. No, God sent his son to save his people from their sins. 
One pastor wrote this, when you become a Christian, you belong to God and you belong to your brothers and sisters. Your being in Christ means being in Christ with those others who are in Christ. This is your identity. This is our identity together. And so, beloved, since the church is the body of Christ, we are, not, we are not meant to live as disembodied Christians. We are commanded by God to gather together to worship, to encourage one another daily, to admonish one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another, to love one another. That phrase, one another, is used over 100 times in the New Testament. 50 specific commands from God. Two-thirds of them, you could say, have to do with either unity or love in the body of Christ. But beloved, you cannot obey those commands in isolation. You cannot obey those commands as a disembodied believer, not connected with the body of Christ. You, you obey those commands when you are in fellowship with other believers. Yes, we are called to love all people. Yes, we are called to love all believers. And yes, we are called to love these people right here, in this room with us, here in this local expression of the body of Christ. This church, this family that you can look around and see right now, these are the people. This is the place where we now focus our love and our service and our fellowship. Now that you are the people of God, you belong not only to God, but you also belong to his family, to your brothers and sisters in this church. And beloved, today I want to encourage you to live this out, to display this unity in two ways. There are many ways we can do it. I want to just highlight two briefly. First, it begins simply by recognizing the reality of this union, this bond that we have in Christ. And then second, I want to encourage you to resolve conflict in your lives. So first of all, recognize the reality of this union, this bond that we do have. We've heard that phrase, blood is thicker than water. And we recognize that our world's history is a long story of tribal conflict, of family feuds, where no one is closer than family, than blood. But there's one critical exception to that rule, and it is the church of Jesus Christ, the local church. Beloved, when two people share Christ, even if everything else about them is different, they truly are closer than even blood ties could ever bring them. They are truly family. The family, the people of God, this family, there's a sense in which it is truly more real, more lasting than even your family of birth, than even your blood ties. Now, sure, we hope and we pray that you can share both, that those you share blood with, you also share Christ with. That would be a tremendous joy. But the blood of Christ unites people together for all eternity. You right now enjoy fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that will last forever. So I want to encourage you to simply recognize the reality of that bond, and I want to encourage you to invest in it, to enjoy it now, to see the importance of it. Now, let me be clear. This is not in any way to put down the importance of our birth families, of our blood relations. It's not to discount God's call upon our lives to love and care for those who are our relatives. You heard me say it in the baptism this morning. 
that parents are indeed given the primary responsibility to their own children. So we affirm that. But then you also heard me ask you as the people of God to join together with them and assisting them in bringing their children up in the ways of the Lord. Why? Because we're family. Because these children also belong to you as your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is not to to discount the importance of our blood relatives, but to elevate to you the call by God to love and care for the family of God. That that would be raised up at least to the same level that you would begin to see this family of God, this people of God, as your family, your people. In doing so, when you do that, when you recognize that, you make a commitment. You make a commitment to worship together. That's why you're here this morning. Praise the Lord. We come together to praise God. When you do so, you make a commitment to care for one another. We love people together. This means there will be times when you will sacrifice for this purpose. You will make sacrifices so that you can worship together. You will make sacrifices so that you can love and care for one another. This means there's going to be times when you will miss out on other things, good things, things that you want to do, things that others want you to do. You'll say no to them because you are saying yes to this, to gathered worship before the holy God. You'll say no to them because you're saying yes to loving these people right here, the ones that you can look around and see right now. You know, to enjoy and display this unity that we have in Christ, we must recognize the bond that we share and be committed to one another. There are many ways that you can do that. Here's two for you to consider. We have emphasized community groups here at Proclamation, and they are growing, and many of you are involved in them. That is one way. It's not the only way. It's one way that you can get to know your brothers and sisters in this local church and obey those one another commands, to care for one another. So we encourage you to consider that, to give strong consideration to that. And here's another way. Do not tolerate unresolved conflict. You know, every week we have Pass the Peace as part of our service. You've, hear, you've heard me say this before. One of the reasons we have that is because we believe the gospel is true. What's part of the gospel? I'm a sinner, Right? I might sin against you. You might sin against me. When that happens, we're not surprised that it happens because we are all needy. And what's also part of the gospel, we have forgiveness in Christ. And that leads to peace with God and with one another. So there might be times when you come to a service and you remember or the Holy Spirit convicts you in your heart that you have something against someone here. And during that past the peace, it's a wonderful time not to say, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. You can say that if you want. But it's also a wonderful time to say, I'm sorry, brother, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And for a brother to say, brother, Christ has forgiven me. It's my joy to forgive you. We need to work at resolving those conflicts. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with your brothers and sisters here at Proclamation. Do not let that conflict go unresolved or turn into bitterness or into avoidance. And beloved, if you need help, the elders are here to help you in that. We want to honor God and to serve you and care for one another in this way. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. Who are we? 
We are God's people. As God's people, we show the world what he is like. We display not only God's unity, but also his love. God is love. And to be loved by God is not only to love God in return, but also to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. To love God is to love other believers. There's no exception to that rule. To love God is to love other believers. I'm saying it again in case you were dozing off or you missed it. There's no exception to that rule. And I'm not making this up. This is what God says in his word in 1 John chapter 4. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, who had his very own feet touched and washed by our Savior Jesus. His life was transformed. And this is what he says. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Beloved, we are commanded to love one another in this local church. And this is what God does in the lives of his people. He pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then that love flows through us to others. This is what God does in the lives of his children. And we are to love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So what does this mean? It means that we love one another in practice. We don't just say that we love one another. We show it by our actions, the things that we actually do. Now here's one simple way that we have done this that I would encourage us today to continue in, to grow in. And it's this way. How can you love one another? Draw near to one another in suffering. Be present. Draw near to one another in times of sorrow and grief. Be with people. Why do I say this? Because this is exactly what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, suffering is not unique to a few. Since the fall, since sin came into the world, all people will suffer in various ways. God cares about our suffering. He did not leave us alone. He drew near. He was present. He came. Jesus, God in the flesh, he left the glory of heaven to endure and to relieve human suffering. He was despised and rejected by men. Life was not fun for Jesus. It was not comfortable for Jesus. Those are two of the biggest idols of American life today. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He intimately knew what sorrow and sadness were. He lived in the land of grief. But he did not become bitter. He did not isolate himself. He drew near to help us. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so, beloved, we show the world what God is like when we draw near to people in their suffering. Last weekend, when I was in Iowa for Jody's service, I was talking with the funeral director after the graveside service, and he was asking me on the drive back to the church, he said, did you see the man walking his dog through 
the graveyard. And I had kind of noticed him out of the corner of my eye, but he just started to, to lament the fact of how common this is. In the midst of a, a time of lament and sorrow at a graveside service, how people will just have no respect for that. They'll just walk right through it. He's had, he's had people out on runs just run right through the gathering of people. He's had many complaints of, of people about the funeral procession, the cars driving, of cars having to wait or driving through it. He had one pastor who had to tell a family as they were trying to plan a funeral for their mother, and they kept saying, well, this day won't work, and this day won't work, and this day won't work. And the pastors finally just said, listen, if you're too busy to have a funeral for your mother, maybe you're too busy. And this is what his lament, his final lament was this. He said these words, people are so self-absorbed that they don't even stop for death. And beloved, I just want to encourage us May that never be said of us. May that not be said of this local expression of the body of Christ. And I do sincerely give thanks to God for the ways that I see you drawing near to one another in suffering. It's a sign of the glory of God. The character of God is shining through you when you draw near to one another in suffering. And I encourage you, continue in it. Grow in it. It is really true that when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. That's what the scriptures say. It's a reality. And so the whole body can draw near to offer comfort. How do we do this? Draw near to one another in suffering. Be present. Well, not every person can be physically present, right? If, some, if you find out that one of your members here is going through an intense time of suffering, it's not going to be the best thing to have 50 new members show up at the doorstop. Not everyone can be physically present. But when a member suffers, how do we draw near? First of all, we all can pray. That's something every single one of us can do, from the youngest to the oldest. We can approach the throne of grace and ask our loving Heavenly Father to draw near to our beloved brother or sister in their time of need. We can all pray. And that's a great use of our church directory. You're going to get it. Use it to pray. Pray for those people by name. We also can nearly all offer tender words of love. So not everybody can go. Some can. Everybody can pray. Some can send a card. And if you don't have the right words to say, you can just say, I love you. I'm praying for you. And you can send a card. Some can take a meal. Some can mow the grass. Some can fulfill common tasks that when you're in the midst of suffering and sorrow, you don't have the physical strength to do. And others can come along and help. Nearly all can go in one way, and that's right here in gathered worship. If you've been through a time of suffering, which many of you have, you know that when you gather for worship and you see the body together, that's a great encouragement to you. So you simply, by being here, you strengthen those in suffering. It can be just your very presence. It can be eye contact from afar, a smile. It can be appropriate physical touch to let them know that you care. You can be here. And then some can be there in person. Not all 50 go to the doorstep, but one might or two might at appropriate times. You go. You be with people in their suffering. And this is a hard one, but some of you can share ways that God has comforted you. The scriptures teach us that our God is the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies, and that one of the reasons we experience suffering in our lives is so that when we experience the comfort of God, we can share that 
with our brothers and sisters who are going through suffering. Some of you are able to do that. It's a hard stewardship to bear, but it is a precious gift from the Lord that you can bring that to others to encourage and help them. So here's one very simple way to draw near in suffering. When a member dies, go to the funeral. Go to the service of Resurrection Hope. I recently read of a church that practiced that. They said when one of their members died, nearly the entire church would show up for the service. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. Now, we recognize that might not be 100%. You might not be able to make it. But I do want to encourage you, our elders are doing this. And I thank God for the men that you have called that have become elders here at Proclamation. They are practicing that. And I would love for that to spread throughout our church body. Beloved, we are now God's people. As God's people, we have the joy and the privilege to show the world what God is like. One of the primary ways that we do this is by our love for one another. And we love because he first loved us. One of my favorite definitions of this love comes from Paul Tripp of the love of Christ. He says, this love is a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation that they love me back or that the person being loved is deserving. Is that how God loves us in Christ? Was his love for us willing Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Philippians 2 tells us that Christ did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He was obedient to the point of death. This was certainly a willing love. Is the love of Christ sacrificial? He who knew no sin became sin for you. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his very life as a ransom for many. He certainly sacrificed for you. This is love for your own good. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to save his people from their sins, to bring you back to God, to destroy the works of the devil, to restrain and conquer all his and our enemies, including death itself. He bore your griefs and carried your sorrows so one day you wouldn't have any. He died for you so that you can know and enjoy him and live with him in God's kingdom with God's people forever. Is that love for your good? No doubt about it. Does he demand that you love him back in the same way? His call is simple and it is clear. Repent and believe the gospel. Trust in him, not in your love for him. Trust in his love for you. He does not love you because you'll love him back. But his love for you compels you to love him in return. You don't have to love him or his people in order for him to love you. But you want to love him and his people because he has so loved you. And then finally, beloved, are you deserving of this love? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We are not deserving. We are deserving of his wrath, of his punishment, but God showed his love for you while you were still a sinner. Christ, the sinless, spotless, undefiled lamb of God, God in the flesh died for you. Beloved, you once had not received mercy. 
You once were not the people of God, but now God has made you his people. You belong to him, and he calls you, and he enables you to display his unity and his love. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. May it be our joy to do that together as a united body of Christ every day until Jesus returns or calls us home for the glory of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.